And um, you know, something really sad if you go to an orphanage. Uh, I know friends have gone out to Romania many years ago, where they had just a whole host of orphanages. You may have seen about <clears throat> on the news many years ago after the Eastern, after the kind of Eastern Bloc countries kind of opened up, and friends went into these orphanages in Romania, and there were just rows and rows and rows of cots. And the thing they found most disturbing was that the kids didn't scream because they'd been left and no one had ever come. And when they were hungry, they'd screamed. And when they were lonely, they'd screamed. And when, you know, that was just such a painful thing to see these little children just kind of rocking themselves backwards and forwards to try and comfort themselves because no one had ever come when they'd screamed. There's something really painful about that. Because actually when a child screams, of course, we're supposed to respond. A mum's supposed to go and feed or to go and try and comfort as best you can. It's often exhausting if you're a mum. It's a good time to wake up dad and get him to do it and take the share. And there's something within the cry of humanity. There should be something within the cry of us as Christians that says, God, there's got to be more. I long for more. I long for your presence. When the psalmist said, as the deer pants for living water, so my soul thirsts for you. I don't think he was sort of writing, or she was writing that psalm. It's the psalm of David, I can't remember, probably was actually. I can't imagine he was sitting writing that psalm with one foot on, leaning on a kind of, on a stool, and the other, you know, foot just kind of chilling out and flicking through the TV channels, watching a bit of TV, and thought, oh, I know a good one. As the deer pants uh, for living water, Oh, oh, go! Oh, no. So my soul. I don't think it was like that. I think the psalmist was utterly transfixed with longing for God, so much so that it hurts inside. As the deer pants for streams of living water, so God, my soul, soul thirsts for you. It's written from a place of longing. We're supposed to have that longing for God. It's how babies are born, a longing for a cuddle and an embrace and to be nourished and to be fed. They know what their priorities are. And for us as Christians, one of the priorities in life is to encounter the Father, to have an encounter with him. As I breathe in, because I have need of air, I need to daily be breathing in God's breath as well. I realize that. And yet so often... It's easy to occupy my life and my, my time with other things that actually don't really nourish me. And yet sometimes as we worship, we get realigned with heaven and we think, oh my goodness, I spend so much time and energy on stuff that doesn't really nourish me. But what really feeds me is breathing in with my Father. Breathing in his spirit, encountering the Holy Spirit, having a refreshment, kind of an oil change. When Jesus was in the upper room, when he appeared before the disciples, who were all really, really scared and freaked out and really worried what was going to happen, and Jesus appears in the room, which was probably quite a scary moment for them actually, and he said, you know, peace. And what did he do? He breathed on them. Because he knew, he knows, God knows we're like dust. And he wants to refresh us and encourage us. So I want to talk about refreshment. I want to talk about having your oil changed. I want to talk about all those things that we've probably heard lots of sermons on. We're a word and spirit church here. We love the Bible and we love the Spirit of God. 
But sometimes we, we, we talk about those things, but I wonder how much we experience daily the Spirit of God in our lives. I, I, I challenge that in my own life. and I'm hungry for the presence of God. I'm hungry for his power. I'm hunger, hungry for his breakthrough. I'm hungry for a refilling of his spirit. I don't want to be dependent on last year's blessing. Or two conferences ago when I went to HTB leadership conference or Soul Survivor. I don't even want to be dependent on yesterday's conference in Cheltenham. I know some of the guys were out. Whoop, whoop, come on. And had an amazing time. But I don't want to be dependent on yesterday's blessing. I need God's spirit today for tomorrow and tomorrow I'm going to need God's spirit for what he's got in store for me I need to constantly be drinking and receiving what God wants to give to me I need that we all I think need that so do we make it a priority to dwell to hang out in the Father's presence to say Holy Spirit here I am please fill me again please refresh me I really need you right now I need more of you more of your presence more of your power more of the spirit of Jesus in me. Priority. So what about this passage in Acts? Paul's preaching. He's off. He's got saved. He's off preaching. And his priority seems to be proclaiming the gospel. You know, the book of Acts is amazing. If you really want to look at the early church and look at what our yearning is as church here and church in the city and my heart for the church in the nation then going back to Acts is a really good place to look it's the birthplace of the church it's where God was doing amazing things in and outside of the church it's a real uh, book of the imperative dependency on the Holy Spirit on the Spirit of God and the very real and tangible presence of God so much so that outrageous things happened walk down the street my shadow passed over Ben here. Boom, he'd be healed. Come on, I long for that. Don't you? I mean, I really do. I know I'm Anglican. I'm supposed to be quite... You know, we're not being Pentecostal. Amen! But I do. I long for that. I long for your spirit. To, you know, the spirit that God puts in you that as we walk past people, healing happens. Can that happen? Yeah, it can happen. I know where it's happened in the world. I know people it's happened to. What has happened to me? And you... In this passage, we hear about even handkerchiefs that have been touched by Paul that heals people. I love that. Gene, you love that, don't you? There we are. It happened. Talk to Gene about it. Come on. I, I know where it's happened as well. I just think that's bonkers, okay? I mean, I've probably got a handkerchief. Oh, no, I haven't actually. It was probably a good job because it was really grim in my pocket earlier on. I took it out. I mean, there's probably limits... People are more likely to get Ebola if they touch my handkerchief than possibly get healed. But actually, God can do that. Just a simple piece of cloth that Paul had touched. They lay it on sick people and they got healed. That's nuts, right? But somehow in the mystery of God's power, God is so desperate, I think, and yearning to break through and to bring healing and to bring transformation that God can even do crazy things like shadows touching people and dirty handkerchiefs, well hopefully clean handkerchiefs and people being healed we don't like it in our rational mind it doesn't quite fit into how we imagine God and structure and all that sort of stuff but God is a God that responds to the cry of his children the church is not supposed to be a Romanian orphanage where we sit rocking backwards and forwards because God's never come when we call to him but I know for some of you, 
that has been your experience. That's how you feel. You have cried out to God. And it feels like heaven's been silent. And if that's you, and that's your pain, you need to know there's a Father in heaven who loves you, and knows you intimately, and who wants to meet with you. And to break that lie that says you're an orphan that no one cares about. Because the Father loves you and knows you. And he does want to respond to you. And we're told in scripture that when the saints cry out, God hears those prayers. And sometimes there's a delay and sometimes there's breakthrough and sometimes there's warfare going on. But God is not silent to any of your cries. Paul was continually compelled by the Spirit to press into kingdom stuff. Chapter 20, it says, 20 20 and 24, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You know, I think his priority is, is really, really simple. To witness, compelled by the Spirit of God. And where Paul goes, you know, he, he went with words, and sometimes they might have been wise words, but actually he would say himself, I, wasn't, I didn't go with powerful, persuasive words, but he went, sometimes under real pressure, sometimes fearful, sometimes not knowing what's going to be out there for him, but he went because he knew the Spirit of God sent him. And he went knowing that the Spirit of God went with him which is really encouraging because none of us like going anywhere alone but if you know Jesus then you're never alone so some of you in the workplace where it's really tough for you and life's hard and you're witnessing and you feel like you're alone you're the lone voice in the wilderness Jesus says you're not alone I'm sitting right across the desk from you when you're sharing when you go down to, to get a coffee and you feel like headbutting the wall because it's such hard work, I'm there with you. When you're in college and life's tough, I'm with you. So here's Paul travelling madly around, trying to just trying to sense what the Holy Spirit's saying and go with it, led by the Spirit. And he travelling um, amazing. He probably travelled about a thousand miles. Mostly would have been perhaps. Um, on horseback, maybe, on carts. It's really interesting, those Roman roads. He probably would have travelled about 40 miles a day, Paul. Most of the kind of the churches they went out witnessing probably could do about 40 miles, 40 miles a day. And on these Roman roads, I don't know if you know anything about Roman roads, but there were usually stops every 15, 30, 45 miles. There were, there were stops and shops and little wayside kind of areas that, that travellers could stop on, on all these Roman roads. And it's a bit, like, um, a bit like a spider's web. The Roman roads that went out just kind of went out. And they were fantastic. They were the kind of internet of the day. Just a bit slower. <laughs> Although, actually, if you go to Peter's house, it's not slower. His house. This man went from broadband to BT Infinity cable. High speed. They installed it. Ten minutes after they installed it, they did a test. And what were you on? Four megs. That was at its peak, wasn't it? Actually went down. So, so the internet's not always really, really fast. Should have been 80. He got four on a, on a good day. But so these Roman roads were like webs that went out, and as they travelled, the gospel went out to all these places. It was incredible. And so Paul ends up in Ephesus um, and stays there for about three years. And Ephesus is kind of on the western coast of what, what we probably would you know, call Turkey now. 
don't know if any of you have ever been there. And Ephesus was this huge place. It was amazing. It was like this hub city, enormous, world-rivaling library, spectacular architecture. There was a, a theatre there that seated 25,000 people. Had a population of more than 250,000 people. Ephesus was vast, massive, massive place. First century BC, 250,000 people there. Um, one of the largest cities in the Mediterranean, therefore. And it was famed for all sorts of things, but it was famed for the Temple of Artemis. A little bit about that in that chapter, uh, which was completed around 550 BC, for you historians who like the little details. And um, it was one of the seven wonders of the world, this temple. And people travelled from everywhere to come and worship there, and to come and marvel at this kind of spectacle thing. The Temple of Artemis, um, Diana, sometimes it was called as well, um, of, of Ephesians, was known throughout the entire kind of um, civilised world, and people used to travel to it. There was an idol at the centre of this temple. Um, the, the, according to the tradition of the day, this, 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 temp, this idol had fallen from the sky, whether it was some meteor or something. But it had all this kind of um, mystical writing etched into it as well. And there were hundreds of, and thousands of books that had been written in Ephesus trying to explain this, uh, this writing and, and kind of gotten behind the whole cult of the worship there. It was, it was massive. Lots of big money-making thing. But it was a centre for witchcraft and divination and for sorcery. It was a massive area because of this cult that, that rose up and was a massive centre for witchcraft. And sorcery. We'll come back to that in a bit. So Paul, and if you read the previous chapter, 18, and uh, Apollo, they've been kind of coming in and out, sweeping in and out of all these people, going up on these Roman roads. Apollo, he was in Ephesus for a while. At the end of chapter 18, you can read about him. And Paul ends up in this place where people have kind of come to faith. They've heard about Jesus. They're amazed at the teaching of this man, and they come to faith. And there's this brilliant bit in chapter 19 that kind of makes me laugh because it kind of reminds me of my life when Paul asked this brilliant question of the guys. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? I don't know what it was that made him ask that question, I guess in their dialogue, maybe looking at them, just spending time with these people who obviously were very, very sincere uh, believers. They'd had an encounter with God. They'd, they'd recognised there was something about Jesus that was incredible, and they had kind of assented to, 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 towards God, made this move towards God. And then Jesus says, uh, then Paul says, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit?" And, and you can imagine the moment when the guys kind of go, "The, the who what? The, the what? The, who, the holy what?" <laughs> and it became evident that they hadn't really experienced the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're honest in church life, when I grew up in a traditional Baptist church, we talked about the Father. Uh, I, as a young child, thought I could understand what a Father was. I had one, knew what fathers were supposed to look like. Jesus, they talked about Jesus all the time. The cross, didn't understand it, but it was, they were, you know, people talked about Jesus. He sounded very lovely, nice as small children and animals. He seemed like a nice guy. I was well on board for Jesus. I thought if you met him at a party... You could probably chat to him and have a nice time. So I was fine with Jesus. I was fine with the Father. But the holy whatnot didn't really get talked about. Wasn't quite sure who he was. I was really into Star Wars at the time. So I had a feeling that the holy thing in me, whatnot, ghost. Some people said ghost. That freaked me out a bit. Kind of Casper. 
with a halo. People talked about the Holy Ghost. Sometimes it was the Holy Spirit. I wasn't quite sure who he was. And so they talked about this very quickly in a prayer, but no one would ever talk about the Holy Spirit. So I didn't know who quite he was. And because I was into Star Wars, I imagined him a bit like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi in a jet fighter going, use the force. It was that kind of, that's what I assumed the Holy Spirit was. That kind of voice in your head. Which actually meant I tried to do some really stupid things like making things move, going to really stupid things that were really, really unhelpful. Um, yeah, so I wasn't very helpful. Church wasn't very helpful in that respect, in that regard. So what about you? I want you to turn to the person next to you or the person behind you or the person in front of you. Just turn, basically. And I want you for two minutes to think about this, these sort of questions. What do you think of the Holy Spirit? Be really honest. If you're with someone you feel comfortable with, you can perhaps be more honest. <laughs> but I'm not looking for the, necessarily the right answer. I'm looking for what you feel. So be honest, what you feel. What do you think of the Holy Spirit? How would you describe him? Theologically or personally? Perhaps personally is more helpful at the moment. Um, yeah. So what do you think of the Holy Spirit? How would you describe him uh, theologically, personally? Have a little chat for a few minutes with the people around you. Go. One more minute. Draw your thoughts together. I don't know how you, how you found that, whether you found that easy. If you've been around church or around Christian culture or charismatic church, you've probably found lots of words maybe came easily to mind. Um, and that's good. <laughs> that's good. Um, some of you may have had some theological insights and stuff, and that's good as well. Uh, we haven't got time to get into all this. Just let me say this. I really love the Holy Spirit. I really love and honour the Holy Spirit. I really need the Holy Spirit. I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. I love the Father. <laughs> you know, I... And I know that's the thing you're supposed to say if you're a church leader, I suppose. So that sounds a bit of a weird thing to say. But I really do. And I know in this church, you know, there's, I'm joined with so many people. We really are a Trinitarian church. I love the Father, how he reaches out and embraces us. That while we're still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. I love the willingness of Jesus to come to a world that had been created, that was so broken I love the humanity I see in Jesus when he reaches out to the, the woman at the well and the leper, and he touched, and I said this last week, he touched the, the leper who had all these open sores, had been an outcast, and Jesus could have just spoken the word, could have let his shadow touch the leper, but no, he, he actually reaches out and says, yeah, I'm willing, and he touches him. 
That's beautiful in scripture when Jesus does that. He didn't need to do that. But he knew that that leper, actually a physical touch was as important as a, his, you know, a physical touch was important as his physical healing. I love Jesus, the way he treated women radically in the day, the way he honoured the outcasts, the least and the last. I love the way he challenged and spiritually kind of ripped the head off the Pharisees, you know, and called them a brood of vipers, really went for them. You know, the only people Jesus talked to about hell were the religious leaders of the day. The rest he talked about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He talked about the promise that was found in the Father. I love Jesus, how he interacts with people. I love him in Gethsemane when, you know, he sweated blood because of the agony that he knew he was going to carry. The compassion of the Father. I love the Holy Spirit, the way he, he honours, he seeks to bless and honour Jesus. The way he fills and overwhelms us with love. The way the Holy Spirit can anoint someone who's in the depth of pain can somehow bring peace and joy supernaturally. The Holy Spirit, we need him. And he's holy. Let's not forget the Holy Spirit is holy. You know, I've been around charismatic movement long enough to know that sometimes we do get a bit mad and nutty and crazy and sometimes we forget he's holy. But he's also a God who loves to have fun. The funniest times I have had in my life, and I've had a few, but the, if you, those of you that know Joey, my son, will know, I've had a few funny times, but the funniest times I've had in my life have been in the presence of the Holy Spirit, who has made me laugh like I have never laughed before, because he's the joy bringer. And he's made me cry, <laughs> oh man, like I have never cried, sobbed from the deepest place within, Ugh, when you're birthing something so deep. And the Holy Spirit is able to do all that. And he's the comforter. He's the one that comes alongside. He's the paraclete. He's the one that comes and brings the words of truth, the words that set us free, the words that liberate us. He's the Holy Spirit that descends and brings gifts and releases the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Do you want more of him? Yeah, that was a big Big, massive Anglican yes in the building there, wasn't it? Hmm, yeah, I, I think he sounds pretty good, actually. You're selling him quite well to me. I, I'll definitely all go home and think about it. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> British understatement is a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> so here's Paul in the middle of, in the middle of this den of iniquity and darkness and witchcraft and sorcery but he's been called there by God and he goes in kind of armed with a few words his story but the presence of God power of resurrection resurrection power of Jesus what does the Holy Spirit mean to you? he says to these guys do you know the Holy Spirit? and they're kind of "Uh, probably not tell us a bit more (laughs) and he prays for them and he introduces them to the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues and there's an anointing that happens and it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I wonder what your journey with the Holy Spirit is. Mine, I knew nothing of him. I, I've shared before, I read a Jackie Pullinger book when I was uh, 14, someone had given to me, Chasing the Dragon, about her experiences in Hong Kong when she prayed with these uh, addicts who have been heroin addicts and in the triad gangs. And they get miraculously saved and they come off heroin overnight 
because the, the teams pray for them in tongues through the night. And I was amazed. I was transfixed by this story and kind of thought, wow, what's tongues? <laughs> well, come to that, who's the Holy Spirit? I wasn't really aware of much of him particularly, but I remember, I won't go into my story, but at the age of 14, 15, praying, Lord, will you give me the Holy Spirit and will you give me the gift of tongues? And heaven seemed silent. I didn't hear anything, so I kind of gave up. And a bit like that Romanian child, I stopped asking. Because no one really talked about the Holy Spirit and I wasn't in an environment where... So I stopped thinking about it and I stopped asking. And then God very graciously, many years, a few years later, (laughs) absolutely like a bolt out of the blue, literally in the middle of my bedroom on my own, I got hit by the Holy Spirit in a beautiful way. I received the gift of tongues. I can talk more about that another time. What's your experience of the Holy Spirit? What's your journey with him? Wherever you're at, there's more. If you don't really know him very well, there's a whole lot more. But if you think you know him really, really, really well, good for you. But there's a whole lot more. And if you've really experienced the massiveness of the Holy Spirit, um, and some of us in this room, many of us in this room have, um, if you want a real laugh sometime, come and pray for me. (laughs) When I'm in an environment where I feel safe. And, 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 And sometimes God breaks out really, really powerfully. But you know, God says, yeah, but there's so much more for you. And I need to know that in my own life. There's always more with God. God is the God of more. So wherever you're at, the good news is there's more. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Miles, can I get you out? Where's Miles? Miles is very lovely. Little ripple of applause from Niles. He's a little bit nervous. (laughs) Miles is a very, very, very lovely man. Just imagine they're all naked and you'll feel fine. Um, actually, that might not help. Um, <laughs> Miles, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? You're a student? Yes, I am. Um, I, can I take that? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a student. I'm a first year studying civil engineering at the University of Bath. Um, yeah, from Swansea. Welsh? <laughs> Any other Welsh in the room? Just a smattering. They're not many. Um, now, let's grab that back a second. <laughs> Pass the microphone. Now, I got to know Miles a little bit through coming to church. Um, do you want to explain a little bit about your, your background, uh, home life for you, church, Christian, Christianity stuff? You were a Christian when you came to Bath, yeah? Do you want to explain a little bit about church, what church was like for you? Um, yes, I've always been a Christian. My parents were Christians. I was born to a Christian family. Um, so I've always learned about like what, what um, like who God is and um, the three different parts of God: um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Um, yes, I suppose I. I always had like a longing to learn more. I suppose. Um, um, but like, like similar to Tim. Um, like my church, they, only, they spoke about the Father. Before I could relatively, I could explain pretty well what, who the Father is, and um, and who the Son was. But um, the other yeah, Spirit was kind of this, this, this part of God um, who wasn't really sp- mentioned at all. Um, and I was fine with that, with that um, for the, for um, a small amount of time um, until, like most young people, I, I went to Soul Survivor. Um, of course, those of you who have been to Soul Survivor will know 
that um, they invite the Holy Spirit in and um, all these weird and wonderful things happen like screaming and crying and shaking and falling over and um, stuff like that. Um, but that never really happened to me. So I, I would sit there and um, close my eyes and pray to God for it to happen. Um, but it never did. And I, I got quite disheartened by that. Um, even to the point where I, um, I think at one point I faked a experience with the Holy Spirit. Fell over on purpose. <laughs> um, and how did that make you feel afterwards? Because if you felt like, I've got to fall over because that's what's expected of me. Or that's, how did that make you feel? So yeah, like, really kind of disheartening because I didn't feel like I was... I, th- I felt I was cheating. Like, I wasn't really experiencing the Holy Spirit at all. I was just like, oh, I better do it because everyone else is doing it. And so then, um, about a month ago, six, yeah, probably about a month ago, we had a pastor, we have a pastor up here on Wednesday night where we gather together, we pray, we worship, God really turns up, it's often really, really exciting. And we had a night particularly talking about the prophetic, talking about the Holy Spirit, sharing experiences, praying for one another. And for you, that kind of night really stirred stuff up, didn't it? And stirred up a sense of, I don't put words in your mouth, but for you it seemed like it was stirring up a kind of, we're talking about this, I believe this, I want this, but nothing's happened. Is that right? Yeah, so um, after Soul Survivor, and after like, nothing had happened at all, um, I kind of accepted that God only met, wanted to meet with certain people, and he didn't want to meet with me. I wasn't sure why that was, um, but I kind of accepted that. Um, Kevin Till pastor it that, that night um, it just felt like there was like something, something missing something that like there was, there was a gap somewhere um, and coincidentally um, Tim that night was, was speaking about the Holy Spirit and, and about meeting with the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit encounters um, so that really like sort of stirred up questions and um and brought it all back up. So I was kind of pondering it um, after Pastor and over the, the week until on Sunday um, I thought, well, well, God answers prayer. Um, so why not, why not I go and ask him if he'll pray for me? So Miles came up. Uh, we had a prayer team as we often have on a Sunday night over on the side and Miles came up and said to myself and Greg Victoria and I said, he said, will you pray for me? I'd like more of the Holy Spirit. Which I think is always a good prayer. It's one that God quite likes. Lord, can I have more of you? And so we prayed. Um, can you de- explain what, what, what was going, what then happened to you? Did you feel anything? What were you aware of? Because it's just helpful for people. You know, one of the things we say here, when stuff happens physically to our bodies, um, it's, it's a sign. There's nothing magic about it. There's nothing that makes super spiritual about it. But it is a sign often of internal things that are happening. In the Old Testament, when God spoke to the prophets, often it says they fell flat on their face. Uh, I, and I don't think that was just a kind of a, a choice thing. I think often the weight of God in the, in the temple when the Holy Spirit fell, there was a weight that pressed down. There was a Shekinah glory of God pressing down. So sometimes those sort of things happen. So did anything... Uh, I obviously know the answer to this question. <laughs> what, what happened to you? What, what, what did you feel? Um, so kind of uh, as soon as Tim and Victoria and, and Imogen started praying for me, um, I kind of felt something rest on, uh, um, on me. I felt like this overwhelming sense of peace and comfort and um, and yeah, like just this, this outpouring of love, um, which was amazing. Um, 
it's because I had this like longing. Something I had this this gap in inside me when I was, and yet to sort of know that he did want to meet with me. Um, yeah. Shaking a little bit, but by the end of it, you were bouncing around a bit like a pogo. <laughs> were you aware that was going on for you, or? Um, I was aware of it, yeah. Um, so it started happening. I, I was kind of, I was a bit skeptical, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, I was kind of like, oh, this is a bit weird. Why is this happening? Um, um, and yeah, like it just like kind of grew and grew, and. I just like, yeah, it was amazing. And so you had an encounter with the kind of love of God. You felt God's love in a way, perhaps, I know you said that you had never experienced before. And that's an amazing thing. And your smile, we could barely get you out the doorway when you left because your smile was so big on your face. For you, since then, has it meant anything? Was that a kind of a one-moment wonder? Or what's been the fruit of that after, since that time? Um, so I think the massive thing was the amount of encouragement that it gave me. So I was really like disheartened um, after I saw all these people, Soul Survivor, sort of being filled with the spirit. Um, and so yeah, it was just like the realization that he did want to meet with me. And it was just so encouraging. Um, I think also it's not like, so I, I, I used to think that I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and I'd be like, oh yeah, it's all great, fantastic. And now I'll be a great Christian. Um, <laughs> But I kind of realized that after that encounter, I, I, wanted, I still want more. I still have that like, long end. Yeah. Let's give him a round of applause. It's just a, a really simple story, isn't it? But it's a wonderful story. And, and for Miles, as he's saying, I've encountered God, I've encountered that third person of the Trinity, and it's made me think. I'm more. I want more. I long for more. Which is kind of, shouldn't surprise us, because what does God say? says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you're anything like me, when you've tasted something and seen that it's good, I always want more. Cake, particularly, or chocolate, nice glass of wine. Once you've tasted something, you think, oh, that's good, I want more. But more with the presence of God, it's something because you realise, as it says in Isaiah 55, come to me all you are thirsty, come who have no money, come and buy. And you realise that you taste the best thing. And you think, why have I spent so much energy and self-effort trying to do so much stuff that when the Spirit of God fills you, it's so, so, so different. We need to be open to the fact that God has more for us, that God wants to fill us afresh. In, in, in Ephesians, when the Holy Spirit hit those people, when, 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 when Paul said to them, have you been baptised with the Holy Spirit? And they said, what Holy Spirit? We didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul just simply lays hands on them, prays for them, they're filled with the Spirit of God, they start speaking in tongues. Ripples go out into that city of Ephesus, into this dark city, a centre of witchcraft. Things start happening, miraculous signs start happening, wonderful miracles start happening in the city. Incredible signs and wonders. So much so that in fact that there's, a, there's a kind of a holy awe that hits Ephesus. And we're told that the, kind of the, the scrolls, the witchcraft scrolls, are, are, are burnt. And I think it says uh, the sum of money. I've worked it out. Was it 50,000 drachmas, wasn't it? I think that was, that was burnt. If you calculate what that was, it's about 137 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money literally going up in smoke. That only happens when the Spirit of God convicts people with such a raw power and intensity that you suddenly realize that nothing is worth 
anything compared to Jesus, compared to knowing Jesus, compared to knowing the power of God in, in our lives. So people were burning in the centre of witchcraft, chucking on their scrolls and their books, saying, I don't want anything to do with my old life anymore. For me, it's all about Jesus. It's about pursuing this one, who is the true source of power. All this other nonsense and stuff I've been worshipping and all this witchcraft I've been trying to gain power for myself is nothing compared to knowing Christ and his resurrection power. So I think being filled with the Holy Spirit is probably a really good idea. Is what I'm trying to say to you. So why do we sometimes not go there? I think sometimes fear is a big thing. I was brought up in an environment where no one talked about the Holy Spirit, where no one preached on it, where no one talked about the gifts of the Spirit. There was an uncomfortable preaching series that would jump the gifts of the Spirit and move to something else, or jump the miracles, or, or, or teach. Well, that, that was in a generation ago, just when the apostles were there. Don't let anyone tell you that the gifts of the Spirit died with the apostles. I challenge you to go back through church history. In every century since the church was birthed, in the Acts of the Apostles, in every century, in every continent, you will find miraculous signs and wonders. From monasteries to nunneries to, to wonderful men who are sharing on the street in the most horrendous circumstances, preaching on the streets uh, in, in South America, Venezuela, through Argentina, across Africa and Asia, there are unbelievable miracles happening today. An underground church of some 200 million Christians in China, under intense persecution, many of them still, seeing incredible healings and miracles bubbling out across Africa, in South America. Unbelievable miracles. I met a man who has been working in, in the Himalayas, and they were in a village where someone was raised from the dead. Now, either I'm lying to you, or that happened. I know the man. Does that still happen today? Yeah. Because God is the same today, yesterday and forever. He doesn't change. Now, I don't say that to hype it up. But I'm outraged when people say the gifts of the Spirit have stopped. The Spirit of God has stopped. <laughs> God is a powerful God who loves and longs to bring reconciliation and, and recreation into the created order. And sometimes we become fearful. So I want to encourage you to say, Lord, if there's more, I long for more of you. Sometimes we get scared and we, we, we close down and we don't want to receive. I had this picture. I remember being in Africa a few years back and I was in a, a compound and there were quite a lot of nasty diseases around the area. And someone had said to me, when you're in the shower, because <laughs> you, you get really hot and sweaty, when you're in the shower, make sure you put your head down and for whatever you do, don't open your mouth because the water's not great. When you brush your teeth, you use bottled water. And when you're in the shower, I like a long shower. Man, I was in and out like you wouldn't believe. Because I was in as there as long as I could hold my breath, basically. And flicking it all off, I don't want mouth. You know, you become paranoid about the wind. After I was there for about three, sort of two weeks, you're like, yeah, you give up. You just, you don't care anymore. But you get scared and we get shut down. And we do that with the Holy Spirit. So some people might be in a church environment where it does feel a bit out there. You're at Soul Survivor or you're other places and you think, oh, what's going on? And we shut our mouths and we put our head down and we assume the crash position because we don't want to be got by God, by the Holy Spirit. We're afraid. But God's perfect love casts out fear. And where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. 
God wants us to be a free people, not to be an afraid people. If you have fear to do with the Holy Spirit, then I'd suggest you don't really know the Abba Father, the Father who says, I give good gifts to those I love. I give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And the Holy Spirit is not like a scorpion or a stone or something that will break your teeth or disappoint you or hurt you. The Holy Spirit is good because he's the third person of God and he can't be anything other than good. Because God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Thank you, Gene. <laughs> so I want to pray for us and ask God to fill us afresh. And it's a serious matter, you know. Jeremiah 2 says this. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. For too long, we as individuals and we as church have tried to build our own cisterns. We've tried to kind of water our own land by our own efforts and our own striving. God says it's futile. You need my living water to refresh you. You need my living water to bring revival to the land that's dry and dusty. And if you, like me, are a bit of a deer that says, I long for living water, then I'd just like to pray for you and for us as we conclude. Why don't we stand together? We're not going to hype this. I'm actually, at the the moment, not even going to get the band to come up. I just want us to stand and wait on God. God doesn't need me to do anything to invite the Holy Spirit. He He doesn't need us to get the atmosphere right, get the music right, get the lights right. He just needs our hearts that say, yes, Lord, I want more of you. And if you would like more of the presence of God, if you would like to know more of the Holy Spirit in you, on you, around you, if there's a longing in you that kind of sings that song, that old Tim Hughes song, there must be more than this. Then just hold your hands out if that's helpful. There's nothing magic about that, but sometimes body language opens us up. It opens our hearts. So hold your hands in front of you. Just be still however you feel comfortable. And in your hearts, make your prayer in your words, whatever they may be. Lord, fill me. Holy Spirit, meet with me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Surround me with the Father's love. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Let's just wait.